If you are just listening to this, do us a favor, hop on YouTube and see how cute Carl is in his bow tie <laughs> with the doggies on it. Are those doggies or llamas? These, these, you got good eyes. These are labs. I was wondering if you'd catch that they were dogs on my ties. That is just tough. I'm Jamie O'Kane, CPA, Small Business Advanced Tax Planning and Compliance Extraordinaire. And this is the Abundant Beans Podcast, the podcast that takes my love for learning what makes people tick while digging into the good, bad, and ugly of small business ownership. We strive to give you the insight that only those in the trenches of being and working with entrepreneurs can provide. All right. Today, we're going to welcome to the podcast, Carl Cease. Carl is the president of the Covenant Group, an insurance an insurance agency based in South Carolina, which you will hear, hear Carl's accent, which I love. Um, if I start talking in a Southern accent, I'm sorry. Um, Carl also runs Flea Bite Creek Consulting, which does, um, which provides cost segregation, R&D tax credits, and energy efficiency studies um, for small business owners. Um, Carl's businesses provide um, experiences um, for their clients' needs, um, and they specialize in the veterinary and technological industries. Welcome. Thank you, Jamie. It's great to be here. Great to have you. Um, So, Carl, what was your first job? Oh, my gosh, my first job. My first, uh, what I consider my first real job when I was a sophomore in high school, I grew up in middle of South Carolina, and I worked as a gopher in the maintenance shop at Dean Dempsey Lumber Company. And what that meant was I did whatever anybody in the maintenance shop told me. Uh, It might have been going to pick up lunch. It could be moving parts from point A to point B. Uh, A couple of times I got to go out in the woods where they're cutting trees down and work on the equipment and that sort of thing. It was was hot, dirty work. Uh, I learned a lot doing it. you know, about what work meant as well as some skills I still use. So it was just, it was a great experience. That's awesome. That's a new one for sure. <laughs> We've had everything from like ice cream, you know, ice cream scooper to, you know. Oh, I you bet know, you a lot variety, of people grew up in- variety. Yeah, it's really interesting. I just, I was, I think there's synergy between like the first thing we ever did and like the first, you know, job we ever had and then like what we do now and how they translate. Mm-hmm. I think it's, I think it's interesting. Um, yeah. So that's why I asked that question. Um, so give us the rundown on your career journey. Oh gosh. Um, when I was in, when I, when I started college, I thought I wanted to be a banker. Um, and I spent a couple of summers working in banks and realized that was probably not what I wanted to do. I had a, um, an accounting professor that was convinced I needed to be a CPA and pushed me to take advanced accounting courses. And, you know, I met some accountants that just left me cold. Um, pre- present company accepted. Um, and that just, that just wasn't me. Um, so, you know, as I think is the case quite often, when I got to college, I had no idea what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so my first, my first job out of school was, um, a supervisor on the second shift of a manufacturing plant, uh, supervising 30 women. Um, and I was 21 years old and they absolutely ate me alive. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, they should have. And, and I deserved it. <laughs> so I was in manufacturing for about 10 or 12 years. And then 
uh, kind of saw the writing on the wall. I was working for a company that was going to want me to move to Michigan. And it was not something I was particularly interested in doing for a whole host of reasons. Um, and that's when I got involved in insurance. And that's, uh, that's kind of where I've been parked ever since. Great. I love it. So how did you find an, uh, find, um, an itch in the industry and technological industries? Um, everybody, every city of any size tries to hold themselves out as a technology uh, incubator mm-hmm. uh, hub. And Columbia is no exception where I am. Um, I knew that USC had a technology incubator that they supported. So I went down and met some of the folks there and talked about the issues that startup technologies, startup technology companies have that they don't know they've got. Mm-hmm. Um, they're focused on putting together a product, uh, making it work, making it functional, making it attractive. And they don't realize in doing all those things what the risk is they're, they're putting themselves and their company in. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I started, you know, having those conversations, people's faces kind of light up or they get scared looking and start asking questions. And um, before you know it, the phone rings and they're wanting you to help them and protect them. And that's mm-hmm. that's essentially what we do is protect people. I love it. Um, so what are some of the so I think I think most business owners see insurance as an expense instead of as protection for their business. Mm-hmm. So can you kind of speak a little bit more about how insurance helps insulate businesses, helps, you know, what they what, what it can do long-term for a business, whether in the startup or in the veterinary practice, or even, I mean, in the accounting industry, I see a lot of time people like freaking out. And I'm like, call your E&O. Like, what are you doing? Call your pers- professional liability. Like their job is to make sure that this doesn't go sideways for you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's that's a that's a great question. Um, <clears throat> a lot of a lot of a lot of times, I'll start a conversation owner a, a conversation with a business owner with with a comment that insurance is something that can cost a lot of money, and you hope you never have to use, and that's no fun. And I mm-hmm. and I get that. Mm-hmm. Um, I have professional liability insurance on what I do. Um, you know, we all have insurance of some type or another. But when, when you put it in the context of um, leveraging your money, mm-hmm. um, it, it, it takes a little bit of the pain out of the expense. I use workers' comp as an example because mm-hmm. um, workers' comp premium for the, average, for the typical vet's office is probably going to be about 70% of the expense of the practice for the insurance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a vet will say, you know, this workers' comp, you know, it's going to run me out of business. It's so expensive. And, you know, that may be an exaggeration and some emotion. I get it. But another way of looking at that is, all right, you might, you might pay $10 a month for your workers' comp insurance. And that's you know, obviously a, a fictional figure. But if something happens, and it's not really if, but when, mm-hmm. you're going to be glad you, lever- you had that $10 expense because it might pay a ten or twenty or $30,000 claim. So mm-hmm. you're leveraging your money with the insurance company. Yeah. I find it very interesting. Um, especially like in my industry, like if something goes super sideways, I could be looking at hundreds of thousands of dollars of litigation fees, mm-hmm. hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. I would rather pay two grand to the insurance company every year for my millions of dollars of coverage. Right. You know, then have to figure out how to sell my house to cover that. 
That's it. And something a lot of a lot of folks don't take advantage of that is a shame is um, the loss prevention services that the insurance companies provide. Um, you talk about you as an accountant out of the, your professional liability. Whoever the carrier is has got resources that you can access for no charge to make sure your practice is doing the things the way it ought to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, mine is. Mine does. People are like, I need engagement letters. I'm like, go talk to your know. You know, they should have those things for you. My ENO is specifically for CPAs. Mm -hmm. So if I have an inkling that something might go sideways or doesn't feel right, I just call them. Mm -hmm. They call me back with a, a lawyer calls me back or somebody in risk management calls me back and we talk through the problem. And if I do that, I don't have to pay my deductible if something, if it does go sideways. That's exactly right. And actually, um, most professional liability contracts require you to um, notify the carrier if you suspect something's going to happen. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to be a registered letter showing up in the mail, you know, a summons, a, a formal complaint. If you've got a thought that something might be, you know, not right, mm -hmm. you're obligated to call and report that. Yeah. I had a partnership that was imploding um, and they're trying to pull me into the middle of it and I called my know. Mm -hmm. I was like, they're trying to pull me in the middle. And they're like, okay, this is what you do. You need to send an email. Make sure you, you know, you say that you represent, you know, the business, not either mm -hmm. partner. Mm -hmm. And if they try further, then just give us a call. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't know what to do. I wasn't sure, you know, what my step was, but I was like, this isn't right. <laughs> this could potentially be an issue. And they're like, yeah, thanks for calling us. That's what they do. It's so what they cool. do. It's yeah. so cool to have them in my back pocket. And all of a sudden, that two or three thousand dollars a year you're paying just feels like the best money you spent, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm not. I love it. They have <laughs> they have a ton of resources, like especially with the CARES Act and like all this litigation that came back that came down in the last five well, last year, five sets mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. They have like this is how you communicate with your clients on this. Here's like the PPP loan stuff. I never knew I was going to be a banker. You thought you were going to be a banker. I am now. It was the craziest thing. And they're like, this is how you handle these engagements. This is how you help your clients. This is how, what you can, you know, this is how you can structure your fees. Like, okay, great. I don't even have to think about it. <laughs> like I could just go to them and say, what do I do with this thing? And they're like, here you go. Here's your grievance. Right. Here's how you do that, the thing. Here's your scope. Exactly right. Um, it's huge. So where, where do you find that most businesses are underinsured? Um, that's an interesting question. It's usually not the obvious places. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the time, a commercial building is going to be insured for the right amount. Mm -hmm. um, and that's because of the sophistication of the systems that the carriers have. If you put in an address, and many, time, many times the systems can go out, grab the information on that building, apply a replacement cost factor based on labor and material costs, and you come up with a figure that's close to where it needs to be. Mm -hmm. um, so the building and the contents is usually not a problem. Um, you know, it's the, little, it's the little things that take some thought and uh, time to analyze that gets overlooked. Um, something as simple as, um, it's not really simple, but employment practices liability coverage. Mm -hmm. um, if if an employee is is terminated improperly, or even feel like they were terminated improperly, 
that can turn into a lawsuit and those can be very expensive to defend. And most business owners um, have, have some coverage for that, but they're gonna be disappointed in what the limit is. Mm-hmm. Um, and depending on the size of the employer, they may need a standalone uh, policy to defend themselves on that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so employment practices, um, gosh, and another one that's gotten a lot of press here, well, it's gotten a lot of press for the last five, six, seven years, is cyber liability. The big one. Um, the Colonial Pipeline here on the Southeast Coast shut down for four or five days and it was causing serious problems. Um, and small business owners say, well, you know, that's who's gonna come after me? And I can think of four, four veterinary offices right now that I have had, have had their systems hacked mm-hmm. and shut down mm-hmm. and either held for ransom or just a virus gets in there and they have to start over. It's just about wrecked them. Yeah. Um, so it happens. And the reason, the reason the smaller businesses are attractive targets is because they're small. They don't have the sophisticated uh, firewalls and systems in place. They don't do the employee training to keep people focused on not opening up every email that comes in, looking at them with an eye and thinking, you know, do I really know somebody in Uzbekistan or wherever it might be? Yeah, or not to download those attachments or, you know, the cyber, obviously cybersecurity is a huge issue for us and, and our industry um, and system security is a huge issue um, because, oh my gosh, ripe targets, accounting firms, like we data most people don't have. That's right. Um, so I have two policies, <laughs> two cybersecurity policies <laughs> on top of all of our security measures. And yeah, taking the cyber uh, a, a step further, um, veterinary practices and many companies rely on software to run their businesses. Mm-hmm. And if that software is shut down and they don't have access to it for two or three weeks, think through how that would affect your operations. Mm-hmm. Um, and it could it could cripple a company. So within the cyber policies, you need to make sure that you have uh, coverage for that type of event. There's specific coverage that's uh, built in. I can't remember what the term is for, but it's for a, uh, an upstream provider that you depend on. That if so their services are not available because of a data free. breach or whatever reason, that you will survive that event, even though it's nothing you did or were directly involved in, you were suffering a loss from it. From the third party apps. Interesting. Exactly. So let's talk cost segregation because I really think that's probably most applicable to a lot of our clients, um, mm-hmm. you know, especially in the veterinary space. Right. Um, so I don't know if we've ever talked about cost segregation on the podcast before. You're our first. Um, so what is cost segregation? Uh, cost segregation in its simplest term is a change in the way a de- building, a commercial building is depreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, you're changing the way that you uh, allocate the uh, the cost of that building over a period of time, and it's doing it so it can be very tax advantageous to the building owner. We're all about tax advantageous around here. That's right. Um, so it takes the component. It takes like a so if you purchased a building, right, 
a lot of times we would just stick that into our depreciation schedules and we would depreciate over 39 years, right? Mm -hmm. So what a cost aggregation study does is it takes it down to its components, the building's components. So maybe HVAC, maybe flooring, maybe painting, whatever, all those things. And it gives us the ability to take those things and depreciate them faster than that 39 years, right? That's it. That's it. The, 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 the lingo in the cost aggregation industry is that certain components of the building are reclassified mm -hmm. uh, by the engineer into shorter time frames of depreciation. So instead of 35 years, parts of the building would be reclassified into 15, 10, 7, and I think sometimes even five-year yeah. buckets of depreciation. There are some five buckets sometimes when we're looking at those. Mm -hmm. um, so that gives that accelerated expensing um, for the client, which reduces their tax load. That's it. It's a, I think I've got this right. You have CPA, but it's a non-cash deduction, which is good because you get to, you get to deduct it from your taxes in any given year, but you don't have to write a check for it. So that's, that's just wonderful. Um, so in, in the tax mitigation, we talk about permanent tax savings and deferred tax savings. So mm -hmm. I thought, you know, mm -hmm. more depreciation is generally, um, it's permanent saving. That's right. That's exactly until, right. Well, until you sell it, we have to recapture it, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, so who, I mean, so we talked about buying a building, but who else can use cost segregation studies? Um, well, you don't have to own the building. If you are leasing space and put money in for upfit costs, those upfit costs can be reclassified as well. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, uh, it can be for someone who's in lease space or who owns a building. I love it. I love it. So, so if a veterinary practice comes in, it's a blank space, they spend 80% of their loan, because that's what I'm seeing right now, on costs or on lease improvements or improvements to the space to make it usable as a, as a practice, they, those that, can, that, that cost can also be broken down into components. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. Um, the benefit to that is that we, even with accelerated depreciation, which we don't always need, can use, right? Can mm -hmm. always use it, especially if you own the building. Um, it helps us also decide which, what we're gonna, what we can accelerate in depreciation as well. So if you really have a really great year and you've, you know, we do a cost segregation in that year, we're doing that catch up depreciation too, generally. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a change in accounting method that we generally change in the current year. So you get all that catch-up depreciation on those components as well, which is really, really helpful. That's right. It can be, it can be awesome. It really can. Mm -hmm. If you have a banging year this year and you're like, what am I going to do? If you haven't done a cost segregation, that might help us with that tax mitigation. That's right. This That's year it. and the next year. Mm -hmm. So what are the other thing you work on is energy efficiency studies. Well, mm -hmm. What are those? You know, what is what is the purpose of that? Um, well, they're they're uh, again they're tax credits and the Flea Bite Creek Consulting. What we do on that side is try to reduce a business owner's operating expenses, and mm -hmm. it could be through tax credits, through um, the cost irrigation studies. Um, but one area we do uh, do some work in are energy efficiency studies and. Uh, there are two types. One would be for commercial buildings where if you uh, improve the uh, energy efficiency on that building, I believe max credit can be up to $1.80 a square foot. Wow. And that has to do with the building envelope, the HVA system, and 
gosh, there's a third aspect of it. I, it escapes me right now, but it can be, that credit can be up to $1.80 a square foot for that building. Um, on the uh, residential side, there's a 45L tax credit that's for residential dwelling units that mm -hmm. if they, if the, if the building meets the qualifications for that credit, it can be uh, $2,000 per unit. Oh, wow. So if you walk through, walk through an apartment building and there are 35 units, that 35 times two would be $75,000 tax credit. Crazy. I love it. You said building envelope. What does that mean? I've never heard that term. Ah, I threw a little technology out there at you. I'm glad you caught that. Uh, the building envelope are the walls, the walls in ah. the room. If it's insulated property properly, um, then that's a good thing. And the intent there, uh, through the federal government's wisdom, they're trying to uh, force us into consuming electricity. One way of doing that is by having more properly insulated buildings. And that's what a building envelope does is keeps the heat in during the winter and the cool in during the summer. All right. I don't think I've never heard that term before. Okay. Well, that can give you something to ponder next week while you're on vacation, building envelopes. Well, I, I will be pondering that. I'll be pondering the, the, the building envelope of our resort. <laughs> what kind of insulation do you guys have here? What kind of what? I'm just going to ask the people. What kind of insulation do you have in the ceiling, in the, in the roof? Oh, okay, great. Can I get another Paloma? Thank you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> They're probably not going to be a roof where you're headed. No. Nope. Sunshine. Exactly. <laughs> I cannot wait. <laughs> All right, Carl. Um, before I ask my last question, um, what is the easiest way to find you? Oh, gosh. Easiest way to find me is probably to contact you. But um, <laughs> barring, that, barring that, since you'll be go next week, uh, two websites, thecovenantgrouponline.com, mm -hmm. or most people find this easier to remember, fleabitecreek.consulting. I love it. I had to, I had to like spell that one out in my head because, yeah. And there is, a, there, is actually, there is actually a Flea Bite Creek. It's about an hour from here. If you Google it, it'll pop up right there and you can, you can see the creek. Well, I've never been to South Carolina, so we have to do that sometime soon. Actually, no, I have. But I was little tiny. I was a tiny little thing last time I was there. So I'll have to come out. And if you if you're internet illiterate, we can dial a phone. Our phone number is 803-771-8771. I think most of our people are inter internet literate, I would hope. I try not to assume too much, but I would hope so as well. Yeah. Carl Carl has was telling me about his three his three computer monitors over there. And I told him that would be too much for me. I wouldn't know what's where. <laughs> or I'd have way too many tabs open. <laughs> we mitigate that with two. You know, tax returns on one, information on the other. That's all I need that for. <laughs> all right. Um, Carl, last question for you. What is the one piece of advice you would give a startup veterinary practice owner? Oh, gosh. Um, ooh, that's a tough one. Work with people you trust. And if someone's not asking you a lot of questions, 
then they're making assumptions about you and about your business that may not be true. And that'll lead them to make bad decisions on your behalf. Oh my gosh, that's fabulous. <laughs> Love that. Very I've true. Pra- I've been practicing that for days. How do you remember to say it for days? <laughs> no, but I, you know, I, you know I, I like I like understanding what's going on and mm-hmm. ask a lot of questions. And sometimes people start looking at me like, is this going to ever end? And I have to back up and explain why I'm doing it. And at that point, they're like, okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And with vets, it's like, you know, when, when a new dog comes in and presents itself, they take a history and physical. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. I don't think it's called history and physical in the canine mm-hmm. world. But, you know, you got to get to know the dog before you can diagnose it. And that's essentially what uh, you know, any service provider should do is really find out what's going on before you try to fix something that may or may not be a problem. Yeah, I love that. I think that's it's is so true. We can we can take um, in all these industries, but this happens a lot in mine. We can take a one size fits all approach to so many things, um, and they're just not. It may not be the correct answer for the business owner. And we don't know that unless we ask the questions and really kind of dig deep into what they want mm-hmm. and what's going on and what needs to happen for them. Yeah. Um, I love that. Yeah, I ask a ton of questions too. But you know yeah. that. That's, that's yeah, why we're last, here. Yeah, it's 30 minutes or so. <laughs> you know, I think, I, think I, I love that. And that's why you and I get along because it's just like that pure curiosity of like, what do you do? How do you do it? What lights you up? What's going on? How do we, you know, how do I help? How do I help you? What do we do the thing? You know, it's that curiosity yeah. that drives that. I think for us as we help people, but also mm-hmm. in like, we're also like genuinely fascinated. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. I think, you know, the way people work and the way they take and what they want and what moves them and whatever, I just find that generally, you know, genuinely fascinating. So you don't think less of me because I have three monitors? That doesn't no, mean. no, I love it. And you and you wear your bow tie. Y'all, if you are just listening to this, do us a favor, hop on YouTube and see how cute Carl is in his bow tie. <laughs> With the doggies on it. Are those doggies or llamas? These, these, you got good eyes. These are lambs. I was wondering if you'd catch that they were dogs on my ties. That is just, oh, that makes my heart feel good, Jamie. It's that it's the 2010 vision. <laughs> The detail-orientedness is really what it is. <laughs> yes, these are Labrador Retrievers on this time. Wow. I love a Retriever. <laughs> They're my favorite. All right. Thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. I enjoyed it. You have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much for listening or watching. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube, iTunes, or wherever you prefer to listen. If you learned something and found some useful information to apply to your business today, please consider giving us a thumbs up and a review. Until next week, be abundant.